Welcome to Woman Reinvented with your host, Beth Smith. Our sponsor this week, Simply Online. Now, here's Beth. I am so excited to introduce Christian Zabago on this podcast. She is an amazing woman. She's done all kinds of technology. She's had a great career, still does. Has a book that's on um, Amazon. I'm looking right at it. Roadmap to Revenue, How to Sell the Way Your Customers Want to Buy. She's a revenue coach. I'd never heard of such a thing, but it makes a lot of sense once you dig into what Christian is doing with her customers. So quickly take a listen, and I just think you're really going to enjoy this one. Today, I'd like to welcome Christian Zavago to our call. Christian and I are, Christian and I are in a um, shared Facebook group, and I bumped into her there, and um, I I'm so glad to welcome you to Woman Reinvented Podcast. I uh, I uh, haven't had a chance to dig into your book yet, but I'm excited to do so. I've I've been um, looking at my Amazon account, ready to download that thing. So I want to talk about you and how you got where you are, and talk about the book that you've just come out with, and um, talk about how that how you ended up getting here but and your pathway. So if you'll just tell me your story, um, I'd like to kick it off. Okay, that sounds great. Um, and first, let me just say one thing. The, the new book, quote unquote, is actually the audio book version of Roadmap to Revenue, which has been out in hardcover for a while. Uh, when I wrote that book, um, I had been in tech so long, I knew that I, and I also knew I wanted it to be evergreen. I wanted it to work for a number of years because it was just basic. Here's what we're doing wrong. We're all thinking like sellers instead of buyers. And here's what buyers are really doing. And I completely reverse engineer and map out the buying process that people go through. And I'm, I'm happy to say that having listened to every word of the audio book while I was proofing uh, what the... Um, person was doing as they narrated it, uh, it's still 100% valid. So I'm pretty excited about that. But all right. So actually, my my foray into tech, and I've been in tech for decades, um, started with a big embarrassing moment, um, which is where a lot of good things start. Even though we hate that. (laughs) Yeah, even though we hated it at the time. That's right. Right. Yeah, um, I was a senior uh, in high school and I was working for uh, my boyfriend's father who was a Pratt & Whitney distributor. And he gave me a catalog and he said, here, you're the first woman to sell machine shop tools in the country, go for it. No training, no uh, nothing except my mini skirt. You know, it was just, and so I did. And I was all excited. I thought I was gonna make a lot of money and um, I was driving around in my, old Chevy, (laughs) barely made enough for my gas, actually. And the reason was I didn't know what I was selling and I didn't know what they needed. So I I distinctly remember walking into a machine shop and, you know, I was young and again, there was the miniskirt and they all shut down all the machines. They all came out to look and there was this old foreman who looked at me and he said, okay, Pratt & Whitney machine shop tools. All right, you tell me how your drill bit is better than the one I'm using now. And I couldn't, I didn't know. 
I just didn't know. And so I walked out of there with my tail between my legs. And I remember being in the parking lot about to get into my old car and saying to myself, I was going to learn everything I could about technology and selling. And I've been doing that ever since. Never wow. stopped. And, and what a moment. Yeah, it was. It really was. I had been in show business and a lot of other things. I had a degree. I was going to have a degree in music. I worked my way through school. And I never, I, I never let go of that. I just kept doing that and then working my way at various sales positions. My husband and I opened a, an ad agency in Silicon Valley um, back in the 80s and um, did that together for about 12 years until everybody started taking all their marketing in-house with the Macintosh. And I looked at him and said, why don't you retire? He was the graphics part. I was words and clients. And um, he was 52. And um, he did, been retired ever since, makes things, inventor kind of guy. And I just started being a revenue coach, which is what I ended up calling myself, and helped CEOs and entrepreneurs make more money by understanding what their customers wanted to buy from them and how they wanted to buy it. And I became an expert on that subject. So Mostly, when did you have yeah. that transformative kind of moment when you went this is all wrong and this is all backwards. And how did you figure that part out? Well, it was kind of interesting. I started doing something I call reality checks and I'm still doing those today where I would take and get a new client and they would tell me their side of the story, the seller side. Right. And they would say, oh, these are the things that are the most important to our customers. So the list, you know, five or 10 things. And I, I listened, all made sense, sounded perfectly reasonable. And then I would go out and interview their customers, people who had already bought from them. And since then, I've literally conducted thousands of interviews of thousands of different types of people in B2B, business to business, and business to consumer. And what was interesting was every single time the the list that was given to me by the company of the most important things that the customer cared about was completely different <laughs> than the list I got from the customer. Now, sometimes there were a few items in common, but they were never in the same priority. Right. So here they were spending all this money. These, this company was spending all this money to attract and convert new customers and they were completely off base. Well, I mean, when you think about, when, you, when I hear you say this, I'm like, well, of course, that makes so much sense. Everybody does that, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. yeah. but, it's, but it's really not, obviously not true. People aren't listening to the customers about what they want it to be. They're just making up, their marketing department is putting it together what they think they should have. Or is that, is that starting to change? Oh, I wish it was. Honestly, I'm, I'm at the point in my career now where I'm like, guys, please get a clue. I don't want to die. I'm not pretty <laughs> far from dying, but I don't want to die without somebody saying, you know what? We really need to listen to our customers. Now, they say it, right? but they don't do it and they don't do it right. So there's actually a technique to this, which again, thousands of interviews, I learned a few lessons. And they're all in the book. I was very careful to say, okay, here's how you create the list of people you're going to want to talk to. You absolutely should do phone interviews, not in-person interviews, because all the body language stuff comes into it and nobody has time to travel anywhere anyway. Right. 
All right. And when they're on the phone, they're in their own environment. They can, and they set time aside for you, have an, an appointment with them. And so that's your moment. And you ask open-ended questions. You don't lead the witness like people right. do on surveys. Right. And you listen and you record it and then, and you tell them you're recording. And then you, you split the whole thing up into categories or answers to the questions. So that it anonymizes it. So you give a report, which can be 50 to 150 pages, and you give that to management and you say, here's what everybody said in answer to these 10 or 15 questions. And this person said this, this person said that. So they get the full force of the, of the actual information and it really hits them and you, it, suddenly you have them in the customer's mind. It's very powerful. And I got to tell you, if marketers would do this, they would not believe how much power they would get from that. They are not respected as a rule. It's considered sort of a soft thing. You know, maybe there's right. some data, but, but they're just not respected by management. Right. And it's because they should be the expert on the customer. They should be able to stand there with all confidence. And when somebody Pikes, you know, pipes up and says, oh, I think we ought to do this. They can say, wait a minute. The majority of the customers I interviewed said that doesn't matter to them. We really need to focus on this over here. That's where the money is. And you don't hear marketers talk like that because they haven't interviewed their customers. And I'll say one more thing about the interviewing process. You really have to interview people who have already bought from you. And, that's, and startups have a different problem, but let's just focus on that. Most companies have enough customers and you only need five to seven deep conversations to get a trend. So you interview those people and you interview the people who have already bought from you because now they're not playing poker with you. They're playing poker when they're buying from you. They don't tell right. you the truth. Right, right. But once they've bought from you, they're more than happy to say, oh yes, this was very good. That's not so great. You really ought to fix this customer service problem. It's not working. They want you to succeed because they have invested in you. And especially in business to business, they have to justify their decision. Sure. And if things start going south, they're going to be really embarrassed. Right. So they really, you know, you just ask the customers after they bought from you and they will give you amazingly good information. So you've done this for several companies. Hundreds. Uh, hundreds of companies. Mm -hmm. um, do you find that once you make these inroads with the company that they do change or is it slow to change? Oh, well, they certainly change more than they would if they had any other method. I've tried all the other research methods. They don't work. They don't you work. You absolutely have to come in with all of this information in the customer's words. And you would think busy executives wouldn't have time to read all those pages, but they do because it's like somebody telling you your life, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and they always say, oh my goodness, I didn't know anybody knew that we were having a problem over here kind of thing. You know, it's sort right. of surprising, but as they're reading, they also start feeling that confidence that the marketer feels that, that, that surety, that, okay, I get it now. That's what they're, that's okay. That makes sense. And everybody gets on the same wavelength. And now sales, marketing are no longer fighting because they have a shared vision of what the customer wants. 
that's another thing I wish I could solve before I die is the civil war between sales and marketing. Right. And then, and then management and the marketing people that are doing the work, they also understand what's, what the big deal is. So you suddenly have a customer centric vision. And the good news is you don't have to do this kind of surveying very often. You can do it once or twice a year and, or even like I said, annually, and you'll be okay. People actually don't change the way they buy that much. Well, that makes sense. Um, so as, a, as most folks that are out there in the world doing kind of what we do, most of them are small business owners as opposed to, you know, GE or somebody like yep. that. And as I'm yep. thinking about you sitting around the boardroom and having the CEOs read that, I'm thinking bigger companies, but does this apply for small companies too? Oh, sure. I've done it for one man or woman businesses, moms and pops, um, small companies, mid-sized companies, doesn't matter. If you're, right. if you're selling to someone, this works. <laughs> so, um, and in your book then, if I, I'm a small business owner, I could implement your system by using your book. Is it all basically in there? Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to give it away because I'm only one person. I also have a company now and, you know, I just do this for clients. Um, but I want everyone to get better at selling. It's really, really terrible. And one of the reasons I got into the whole marketing side of things is because I was in Silicon Valley and I watched these engineers with great ideas and they couldn't sell their way out of a wet paper bag. Right. And, and they were frustrated and they're wonderful guys. I happen to love engineers. I'm married one. He's, our, he's an artist too, but you know, he's got that engineering discipline about him. And I love that. And I think they're great contributors to society and I wanted to help them. So anybody, any entrepreneur, and I should go back to the entrepreneurial thing. If you don't have any customers yet, right, you can go to people who might be candidates. It won't be as perfect because they haven't yet experienced your company. Right. The thing that you can't do is go to your friends. Because one of the entrepreneurial mistakes is to be selling to your friends. And then the company grows big enough where now it's time to get a salesperson and the salesperson isn't selling to his friends, you know, people who already trust you. He's selling to strangers. And the CEOs or the entrepreneur is like, why are you having so much trouble? I didn't have any trouble making the first few sales. Well, it's because he, was, he or she was selling to people who already knew them and already trusted them. Right. Completely different experience. But right. you can find people who are close enough to at least get you in the ballpark ask them what's important to them. And the questions you ask in the interview have been worked out over thousands of interviews and they, they work. And some of the questions are, how do you feel about our product or service? Um, how's the experience been working with us? If you were the CEO of our company or president of our company tomorrow, what's the first thing you would fix or focus on? Um, what trends do you see in your market? What's your biggest challenge right now? So those are things that, and if you were looking for our company again and you didn't know about us, what would you type into Google? You know, there's all sorts That's of neat one. Yeah, questions. Um, so you get wonderful answers and you just listen, you know, and, and record it and then have it transcribed and then turn it into a report. Awesome. Uh, you know, I, I've been in a, I was in big companies before I started on my own adventures and um, I'm just thinking how important impactful that sort of information would have been 
for the work that I did. I actually managed a, a recruiting department and um, the stories between marketing and sales and corporate <laughs> were just, you know, it was I difficult. Know. Yeah. Yeah. It's terrible. Terrible. Um, all right. So now tell me, you told me that your husband retired. Yep. Um, and you're um, on this journey. Who's with you? How, how does your company look? What, how do you operate? Well, as I said, I was a revenue coach for some right. decades. Um, and, uh, and then a couple of years ago, I started a digital marketing management company. We have about 25 people now. We started in July of last year and we've tripled our revenues and doubled our client load. Um, so we're doing very well. Um, extremely highly structured, good management uh, systems, good processes. I'm, I'm really a great believer in that. Um, and it's really fun right now because I've learned so much about managing people and taking care of them, clients and workers. Um, and it's just so fun to do that all day. And everybody's happy. We're all happy. We're just, there's no politics. It's just happy work all day long. It's fantastic. I've never, so, I've never had this much fun working. Well, you know, work is supposed to be fun, right? Yeah. <laughs> if, we get, if we get it yeah. right, it's supposed to yeah. be fun. It's who we are. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so tell me a little bit about that company. What kind of digital marketing, what are you doing? We do anything digital, but we also do non-digital stuff as well as people need it, like booth graphics and printed pieces and things. It's just that most marketing is digital now. And so, m most marketing, is, most digital marketing is very challenging to companies, especially to companies that have been around a while and they have a good product. We have some startups too, but most of our clients have been around a while and they're frustrated because marketing has changed so drastically in the last few years and they're kind of like deer in the headlights. And so we, we really get them on the right track. So let me guess. My guess is you use some of your same techniques to figure out exactly what direction you're putting these companies as you're doing their digital marketing. Yes, obviously, of course. Um, and if I don't, they get on me about it because they all read my book <laughs> and they say, wait a minute, we haven't talked to customers yet. What's happening here? What's happening? Why aren't you asking? Yeah. Why aren't you interviewing? Yeah, exactly. So we do that, but we've also done some other things that uh, I think are very important to our success. For instance, a lot of agencies have a model where there's sort of one smart person at the top and then they hire a lot of interns right. or people in other countries and stuff. And digital marketing has gotten so specialized and so fast moving and is so dominated by, um, uh, you know, one player, um, a monopoly like Google or Facebook in their space right. that you really have to have somebody uh, and, and they change their minds on a whim, these, these monopolies. Yes. They so you, you have to have somebody who's on it all the time, doing it every day. So uh, the majority outside of my core infrastructure team who keep running the machine, the majority of the people we have on staff are uh, specialists in their areas. So we have an SEO person, we have an AdWords person, you know, we have somebody who handles directories and we have a lot of specialized content writers who are dedicated to each client. So it's very specialized on purpose. And then they're all united with really good systems and processes and we're all a team. It's, it's fantastic. And they're all over the country. 
which is well, the other thing. Interestingly, I'm going to be interviewing someone who's based in Australia, actually, but mm -hmm. her uh, focus is um, uh, building specialist, basically, for your mm -hmm. company throughout the world, you know, mm -hmm. because we have the ability to do that now. Yeah. It's, and, it's just fascinating, uh, you know, and, you know, and as I'm a single entrepreneur and I'm some days go, oh my God, how can I keep up with all the things, right? The new algorithms, the new SEO, oh, I need to be working on that. It's so good to hear that you have people that are just specialists in one area and I mm -hmm. wish I could be, but I can't. No, right? you can't. That's the other thing. And even the idea of a marketing generalist. I mean, I, I'm writing, I'm just writing a blog article right now about the ideal marketing department. And I think I've built it. I mean, after doing, I did a lot of turnarounds for companies and right. IBM and even the big ones. I, I actually wrote all of the instructions for the marketing people at IBM at one point and went all around the world teaching them how to write copy that the customer would like and all that. And so I've done a lot of marketing and sales department turnarounds and, uh, you can't, you just can't hire people who do several things when they really should be focusing on one thing. Uh, the, the age of the marketing generalist is, is pretty gone, I think. I don't disagree because, you know, every nuance of Google is very different than every nuance of, well, I don't know, Instagram, Facebook, whatever. And knowing all of those would be really hard to um, yeah. keep up with. Yeah, that's correct. So, I, yeah, that's, that's fascinating. So tell me about long-term plans. Obviously, you said you're not dead yet. <laughs> no, not I'm very not it. dead yet. Yeah, no, we're, we're in good shape. Um, I'm, you know, I, I also wanted to, to just sort of bring up the importance of a happy home life. And I'm to the point now where my husband and I have been together about 42 years. Uh-huh. And... Um, We've we've done some adventures. It's been kind of fun. He almost died of cancer about twelve years ago, and then once that was he made not it, one of your fun adventures. No, that wasn't one of our fun. Mm -hmm. That was very hard, but it, it brought us even closer. Of course, you know, you just fight together and and you make it. He had it, just, it was great. Anyway, um, unfortunately, he got cancer again. We're on the third round now, but I think he's going to make this one too. Um, anyway, so we we decided if his bucket list was kind of waiting for me to retire, quote unquote, and I'm not going to retire. I'm going to die at my keyboard. I know that about myself. So um, we ended up having a 48 foot catamaran built in South Africa and we sailed it home together, just the two of us. That's awesome. Yeah, it was Let's 8, just stop this miles. recording and talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Forget about this other stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And it taught me a lot. I mean, being out there in the ocean, the ocean's big. And yes. we went, you know, all the way across diagonally from South Africa all the way up to New England. We stopped once on one little island called St. Helena, which is kind of halfway in the middle, um, where they exiled Napoleon. Uh, right. It was a very I interesting. Too. I wasn't going to, yeah. I thought yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then we're just two months at sea together. And the first lesson we learned was we needed to have enough sleep if we weren't going to get divorced. And of course, you can't get divorced when you're out in the middle of the ocean no, anyway. So hard. we had to solve that problem. Um, so my husband came up with a watch schedule that was different from the usual four hours on, four hours off. And we each got six, seven hours of sleep and then a one or two hour nap. And it just 
traded it off, worked out. I, I was mostly all night and it just worked out. And we were fine after that. In fact, when we came, we were just coming into Newport Harbor and I just looked at him and said, you know, I could go for another two months. I mean, it was just so great. And I was able to work. I had something called BGAN, which is broadband global area network or something. Um, and it was the size of a book. And because it was a catamaran, it stayed pretty level. Right. So I was able to catch the satellite and I could work. So I worked all the way across. The only problem is it was $8 a megabyte. That <laughs> <laughs> was an expensive trip. Well, I just, I just, you know, you don't surf the web. Let's put it that no. way. <laughs> and then I also wrote a blog. It's called sailingonthehorizon.com. Horizon is the name of our boat. Uh, and I, I blogged all the way across cause my relatives were like, no, you have to check in every day because we, we, you know, we don't know if you're going to make it or not. So it turned out to be a fun writing experience. Well, I'm certainly going to check that out. Sailing, uh, on the horizon.com. Yeah. Sailing yeah. on the horizon. And, and so tell me about the boat and where, what's, where's that? Well, it's outside our house. Um, we live on the water in Jamestown, Rhode Island. Um, and it's just a fantastic sailing boat. It's, it's an unusual catamaran in the sense that the, there's a steering station and all the lines and all the line handling is forward of the pilot house. So you're basically, we used to windsurf together. And so this is like having that experience of being right there out in the elements, all the, the lines, you can do everything you need to do. And there's another steering station and engine control area inside the pilot house if the weather's really bad. Right. But it was just such a great boat. It was a performance catamaran. We still have it. We still sail a lot. My husband's making some small boats. Um, he's made a little lapstrake dinghy and he's making an 1880s sailing canoe. Um, so we're going to have small boats to go out on as well. So we just... You know, I I just I'm bringing up the marriage thing because I've just come to believe that how you treat people and how well you get along with each other um it just makes all the difference. I mean, we're more in love now than we've ever been. And it's just a great way to live. So I just want to put that out there that I don't know, there's nothing better than having a relationship and never having to roll your eyes. Well, I'm in a real, I mean, my husband and I've been married for 39 years. Um, so we're one of those, but I am an eye roller. So sometimes I do roll my eyes and he catches me at it. And I try not to do that. But, yeah. uh, but having the support of that, I mean, he helps me get this podcast put together. I could never do this without him. Oh yeah. Um, so it's, it's just really effort. nice to have that sort of symbiotic relationship. And I know that, the, that, not everybody has the opportunity for that. And, and I just have so much gratitude about being able to have that steady. It's always yeah. steady. You don't have to worry about it. It's not something that's ever going to be, I mean, yeah, I'm, you, you know, still got to work on it. Why? You know, there's a lot of, but and I've, I've learned the value of just being patient and standing still. <laughs> and, and that's, I don't think either one of us are very much stand stillers no. but um yeah and and knowing but now always having that baseline i think is the mm -hmm. right word and even though we have to work on it and you yep. know, get yep. irritated with each other from time to time but that's just always so nice to have that underneath us i think yep yep agree uh, it's really not everyone has it and i'm you know i know many people want it that can't have it and sometimes it doesn't happen but you know i i have to have gratitude and celebrate that that we do. 
Yeah. Yeah. So let's see, you're a, a revenue coach. Now you're a digital marketer. You're also a worldwide sailor. What else do you do? <laughs> well, I mean, there's family, you know, there's enough to keep me busy. I, I really, um, I'm, I'm just so excited about what I'm doing right now. And I have such a great team. We're all just, we just love working together. Um, so it's just really pleasant. You know, everybody's courteous and nice to each other. So to answer your question about what I'm going to be doing going forward, I know I'm going to be doing this. I right. mean, as long as I can, as long as I'm, I'm still got all my marbles and everything's right. cool, I'm doing it. Um, and I, I think, I think, my team would actually tell me if I, if something was slipping, because I ask every time we meet, you know, if as long as I remember, I might skip a meeting here and there, but every week when we get together, I try to remember to ask them, how am I doing? Is there anything I can do to improve? And we just work on stuff. We improve on stuff together. We're constantly improving. It's fun. So I, I can't imagine doing anything else, frankly. Well, that's awesome. Um, so I, um, you know, the, the, the amazing thing is that you are probably, um, there are very few people in marketing, or as we hear, we hear marketing and advertising is getting younger and younger and younger. Mm -hmm. But to be able to have a long-term understanding of the market, I think it's so valuable, although obviously other people in your industry may or may not see the value of that. But having that long of career and, and ability to look back and understand and use the stuff that you've spend all this time in your life learning. I, you know, one of my big passions, I think, is that we tend to, we are starting to discount age. I mean, not starting, we've always done that, but ageism now is sort of the only discrimination that seems to be allowed, right? And you, so as we get older, corporations are even bragging about the fact that they're not hiring people that are over an X, whatever age that happens to be for that particular company. So they fit into the corporate culture or whatever lingo they want to use. Mm -hmm. And it's so wonderful to hear that you and are doing, as I'm doing, starting a new career, starting afresh at an age where many people think you should just go ahead and pack up your stuff and go home. Well, the trick is, and I'm glad you brought this up, because there is a trick. And the trick is that you never stop learning. Exactly. So, you know, I was in tech before tech was cool. I mean... Before there were PCs and the internet and <laughs> email. In fact, when my husband and I were working at Silicon Valley, we helped introduce, I don't know, 90% of what we're using today because we had clients who were, that had new email systems. You know, there was no such thing as email. There was no such thing as voicemail. Um, the internet itself. I mean, all of that stuff. And I've just, that, that one old foreman who, you know, said, Honey, how can you sell to me if you don't know? What, right, if you don't what know what I'm talking about. Right. <laughs> that just that was the kick in the butt, and you never stop learning. And I think one of the big problems with people who are up there in age is they never quite jumped on the tech bandwagon. They're reluctant, and they kind of use it because it's there, but they didn't jump in. They didn't dive in. They didn't immerse themselves. And I think you have to now. And I'm even seeing that with, with people in their 20s and 30s, there are certain things that they're kind of resistive to. And you can't, you absolutely can't. And it's going to change all the time. There is no such thing as stability in this world. You just have to keep moving and learning. And then yeah. not be upset when you don't know the answer. 
you know, you can find out from somebody or you Google it or whatever. Yeah. That's an amazing thing. So I think that's one thing. The thing that's kind of concerning to me is how persistent some of these uh, political problems are, like buyers not understanding or sellers not understanding their buyers, um, sales and marketing not being on the same page. You know, there's these things that when somebody gets into the marketplace in their 20s and 30s, they think, wow, this is kind of bad, you know, and they, they don't understand that it's been that way for ages. Right. And nobody's actually solved the problem. And that's actually why I started doing those interviews because I, I thought, well, hang on, we've got sellers over here. What do the buyers think? And when, and when those lists were completely different every time, I thought, okay, all right. <laughs> we really do have a problem. Here's a big and we have to solve it. Right. Yeah. Right. Wow. Fascinating stuff. All right. So um, I, uh, I want to kind of wrap this up for you. I so appreciate your time. Been fascinating. Um, let's make sure that, and I will make sure that I have a link to your book in our show notes. Do you okay. want to go ahead and let us know Instagram, Facebook, websites, wherever folks can find you and find out what you're doing? Yeah, the best thing is to go to zhivagopartners.com, and that's Z-H-I-V as in Victor, A-G-O, partners.com. That's our company. Um, I write a blog pretty mm -hmm. often. Um, mm -hmm. And I also have a small hobby site I call Business English Tech, which is, you know, not something even very official, but it's a place where I, I talk to the 20 and 30 and 40 somethings of the world about how they can make more money, save more money, get along in the business world. Just, just things that you don't hear from college professors, um, right. the truths of, of the marketplace. Um, and obviously the books on Amazon, hardcover, Kindle, and now Audible. Um, so those are really the best places. And you can get to all my social stuff from our site. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. It's been great to talk to you. Um, love to hear your story. Can't wait to read your book. I'm really motivated <laughs> now to get it. Great. Thanks Sounds again. Uh -huh. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Woman Reinvented with your host, Beth Smith. To contact Beth or for show notes, visit her website at BethWSmith.com.